This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. And it's down the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Hey, everybody. Matt Bagley with you. Justin Hopkins across the interwebs with us as well. We're together every week. Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi. This week feels weird to me. We don't have a game to cover. We don't have uh, any, any college football national championship to recap. Did that last week. Uh, we don't have any massive events like a signing day uh, to talk about, but we have a lot of lingering questions to go over on last season, on the off season, on next season, and questions off those questions of who are the staff going to be this next season and what are the goals going to be for this season. I think it's a really interesting week to take a a much deeper, much bigger picture perspective on the comings and goings of Oregon football. So we'll try to do that this week. Uh, Let's start off with this question, my friend. Oregon still doesn't have a defensive coordinator. Why? Uh, Mario Cristobal. You know, I mean, I, I think at this point, it feels like we've been down the road enough times with Coach Cristobal to know that, you know, a, a hire was not going to be made quickly. And even if he decides to make an internal hire in Ken Wilson or Keith Hayward, you know, he was still going to vet out several other guys to get to that point. So, you know, for me, uh, it's not surprising at all. Um, I, I, I think that potentially, I don't think any, so here we are, you and I are on a Tuesday. I'm not sure if we'll see that hire made by the end of this week, but I would feel fairly confident, you know, saying and believing that maybe by the end of next week, if a hire hasn't been made, we've got a pretty good clue about who it's going to be at that point. So I, I think we've kind of worked our way towards it. Um, but, you know, again, Coach Cristobal, he vets a lot of guys out, interviews a lot of guys, and and there's a lot to that. I think uh, I think something that gets lost uh, with fans, just you know, why does coach interview so many people? Why you know why is he talking to all these guys? Well, you frankly just never know. You never know if you might cross paths again with this particular. Maybe he's just a position coach and not a coordinator now. But you know, down the line, you might right you know, be looking at him as a candidate for that role or, you know, your, your, uh, your defensive coordinator doesn't work out and you're looking for a new one in two years. Uh, not to mention you get those guys on a zoom call. One of the aspects that Mario Cristobal kind of expects from his candidates is, you know, talking, uh, talking ball, kind of sharing some philosophy and, and some of the things that they're doing with their defense and, that's kind of, you know, like uh, peeling back the curtain a little bit for free, if you will. Right. You're going to learn some things talking to those guys. So I think there's just a ton of value. I, I, honestly, at this point, at least in this particular search, I can honestly say that uh, Mario Cristobal taking his time hasn't cost him any candidates right now. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like, Hey, you know, these two or three guys are out there and got hired elsewhere. Sure. You know, some of the, some of that's happened, but nobody that's been like a death blow. I mean, you know, here we are, Pete Kwiatkowski, uh, you know, going to Texas this morning. And I certainly think that that was a guy that Mario Cristobal had interviewed and talked to and spoke with. Uh, but let's be real. He wasn't going to be able to pay him the amount of money that Texas was. So, you know, to say that, that Mario Cristobal in Oregon lost out on hiring Pete Kwiatkowski probably isn't fair in this particular instance. So, again, I, I think there's a lot of positives from him taking his time and doing what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, in the specifics of that hire today, I remember hearing this like a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. The school with the biggest staff budget in all of America, uh, and, and, you know, hundreds of Division One schools, the number one in terms of the money that they can throw year in, year out, is Texas. You're not beating oh, yeah. Texas. No, no. Texas, Alabama, I mean, we know the players. But, yeah, I, I think people – forget just because they maybe haven't been as good uh you know since some of those golden years of mac brown texas is a monster i mean you're talking about a huge alumni base you're talking about you're right in the state that absolutely loves football the state of texas absolutely loves football you're in a hotbed of recruiting talent and don't forget some of those high schools are paying their coaches 150 grand a year just to coach high school football you know so if that's going on in your own your own state and you're the biggest you know, university in that state, uh, you're probably going to have pretty deep pockets. And there's, there's no doubt. uh, uh, There's no doubt Texas does. And I got to be honest, I I love what Sarkeesian's doing down there. I think that, I I think he's, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll get into this, but I think he's had an opportunity to turn things around for himself, learn a lot from Nick Saban as Mario Cristobal did. Uh, He certainly has kept himself out of trouble, seems to have gotten his drinking under control, which, you know, let's face it, a lot of us have had drinking problems at one point or another, so there really isn't, shouldn't be any indictment on his behalf, you know, so I, I don't know, I, I really like that hire, I love that he went out and got Pete Kwiatkowski, I think that's one of the best DCs you could go and hire, um, and I, I think he was able to strike on that, because I think there's a little bit of turmoil up in Seattle with Jimmy Lake and the way he's doing things, and, and, and being a little bit egocentric, so you know, credit to Sark for, for realizing that. And I think that was a great hire by Texas. And I think that was a great hire uh, by Steve Sarkisian as well. Yeah. We'll put a pin in that and uh, re reopen, uncork that bottle a little bit later, uh, the situation with the Huskies. But you mentioned earlier, one of the positives to Mario Cristobal being deliberative in this process. I want to go over this. Athletic directors have a certain style when they interview coaches they want to know about somebody's character they want to go over a resume Uh, did they did they get along with the other coaches they worked with did they get along with boosters what did players think about them right it's a lot of uh, qualitative questions and a lot of intangible personality questions same goes for in the professional ranks when ownership interviews a coach they're not going to ask you a lot of X's and O's questions because they can't. They're going to ask you a lot of personal questions. They want to get to know the human, the person. I think what makes coaches' interviews so fun, and you see this at every level in the NFL and in college football, when coaches interview other coaches, 
the personal stuff matters. You want chemistry with the guy. You want a connection with the guy. But you also just kind of have a chance to pick brains. And, and even if you don't hire him, like you said with Mario Cristobal, he's got a chance to talk ball with these guys and find out, hey, Tim DeRuiter, hey, uh, Derek Ansley, what do you see in my defense? And I think that's a really – really valuable learning opportunity even if he doesn't hire those guys he gets to learn from those guys yeah no 100 percent. and and uh yeah like you said there's a lot of ways to improve your own defense uh or offense or whatever you're you're uh interviewing for there's a there it's basically free and it's an easy way to to pick up you know what those guys are doing what's working for them why they're because let's face it more more often than not you're interviewing a hot commodity at the time and okay what's made this guy a hot commodity is it you know certain blitz techniques that he's using is it alignments is it you know language is it uh, you know uh, being multiple what's what's the key to their success and you know if you if you could take that and even if you don't hire that guy and even if you don't hire internally you can look at the next dc and hey just so you know we interviewed you know such and such and you know this is a little bit about what he talked about about what, what he's doing you can go flip on the tape after that and watch their defense and then it clicks, you know, you, Oh, I see what's going on there, you know? And yeah. So tons of value in that tons of value in, uh, you know, for Oregon uh, and for its coaching staff. Um, With regards to the situation at Oregon, they need a defensive coordinator. They also need a couple of uh, support staffers. We interviewed Thomas Aarons, for example, last week and, and learned about uh, Thomas moving on from Oregon to a different career path. You mentioned Jimmy Lake's situation at Washington. How does the Ducks situation compare to that? Uh, you mean in terms of of the DC search itself? Just everything, right now. Just everything. Um, you know, I I think uh, the one way that it's relative is the fact that obviously both are now, uh, you know, in the in the market for a defensive coordinator. And, you know, will they compete for some of the same guys? Are they looking for the same things? Will uh, Jimmy Lake, uh, because here's the deal. Obviously, Jimmy Lake is the guy basically running the defense out there. I mean, I think everybody knows that. And as good of a DC as Pete Kwiatkowski is and was, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Lake was the head coach. And so I'm sure he that that was the major that was the major thing I'd heard coming out of that camp for the reason that Kwiatkowski would be open to leaving is the fact that, you know, he's, he doesn't quite have his control of the defense any longer. And, and, and that's something that's very important. So I, I guess to answer your question, circling back around, you know, I, I think Oregon uh, under Mario Cristobal has a little bit more, not a little bit, a lot more of a proven track record of, of winning, of, of, re, of retaining uh, acquiring coaches, promoting them, developing them, getting, you know, coordinators, head coaching jobs, and, and all that's going to matter. Not to mention, you know, uh, Mario Cristobal coming from Alabama being tied to Nick Saban has a really tremendous network uh, of, 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 of coaches, you know, because of who has come through Alabama. So he knows a Jeremy Pruitt. He knows a Tosh Lupoy personally. He's coached with these guys, you know, I mean, just, yeah, you know, Glenn Schumann, one of the other names on the, uh, there's a lot of value being from that Nick Saban coaching tree that Mario Cristobal has. Um, it doesn't mean that one, it doesn't mean Jimmy Lake can't make a hire 
uh, can't, you know, find coaches, but he has less of a, of, of a proven track record. It's also a really bad financial year for pretty much every institution out there. And not that Oregon has a ton more money than Washington, but, you know, I, you kind of wonder, you know, what's it, what's in Washington's budget, uh, you know, for this thing. So um, I'm not sure that they'll really be competing for the same guy uh, in terms of coordinator. Um, as far as I know, outside of that, you know, Washington's pretty well intact. I definitely don't keep tabs on their, you know, on their day-to-day operations like we would, like a Thomas Aarons and 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 some of the other guys that are involved with Oregon, right? Uh, some of the auxiliary guys. Um, but but to that matter, and to your point, at least on the DC front, I could see them promoting maybe a guy like Cliff Harrison, and and, and then because it's almost like you're looking for more of a position coach, a really good position coach up there that you basically slap a co-DC title on just to give them more money for being there. So um, I, I just don't think they're looking for the same things when it comes to a defensive coordinator. So like last year, for example, I know one of the pluses in the column for Joe Moorhead, and we talked about this, was Oregon got to him before Washington could. We both sure. needed a play caller. He was available, and Oregon snapped him up. Kudos to the Ducks. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like you don't think their need at defensive coordinator is going to rush Oregon into making a hire. No, I don't think so. And I don't know that, you know, knowing Mario Cristobal the way I do, I just don't see him being the kind of guy to be too concerned with what they're doing or, you know, having to uh, accelerate anything. Because I, I do feel this. I feel like there are a legitimate four to five candidates out there right now available that are really, really good DCs. And it's going to come down to a matter of how they fit, how they, how they mesh into the existing coaching staff. Um, Money, money is going to be a big part of that because uh, for instance, to me, I think a guy like Derek Ansley, obviously Tennessee making their move yesterday. Do I think, uh, Jeremy Pro would make a great DC. Of course, uh, there's no doubt that that guy knows how to run a de- uh, defense. But Ansley's probably cheaper. Well, Ansley's going to be cheaper, and and then you know to boot at least right now you you have to wonder what kind of trouble Jeremy Pruitt got himself into at Tennessee, and that's you know whether Ansley was involved or not. Um, you know, regardless of the relationship Mario Cristobal might have with Jeremy Pruitt, uh, you know Oregon's not going to let him hire somebody that's facing <laughs> some some penalties from the NCAA. So yeah. uh, I think Ansley makes sense because of money, uh, you know, because of maybe some of the positions that he's coached in the past. He's been a, a defensive back coach by and large. Um, you know, so again, uh, that that's a guy I think that, that now becomes available in the last 24 hours that, you know, maybe Oregon's in the market for. Would Jeremy Pruitt be a splash hire, be a great big hire? Sure, absolutely would. I just, I, I don't think that that one is very feasible in my mind Yeah, Uh, for a a number of reasons. (laughs) We've talked about negative recruiting on the pod before, and I know you've said, hey, Washington was doing this, uh, USC was doing this, everybody was pointing fingers at Oregon and Mario Cristobal. I fear if you get Pruitt, just, just seeing the headlines I've seen the past two days, if you go out and get this guy as your defensive coordinator, even if he didn't do anything wrong, the the headlines, the accusations are all there, and the rest of the Pac-12 is going to go right back to negative recruiting. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think uh, 
you know, I, I guess maybe this had Jeremy Pruitt been fired from Tennessee and there was none of this underlying stuff going on or coming out, which we don't know. I mean, it could all be it could all be false. It could be worse than we know. We don't know. But right now there's a big dark cloud, you know, circling around him. Uh, certainly there will be an investigation. I just don't think that 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 is a chance that Mario Cristobal is able to take, especially for this hire. Um you know, again, would he make a, an excellent DC? No doubt. Guy can recruit. He can do all those types of things. But, uh, you know, maybe right now a guy like Derek Ansley, who even though he was there, obviously, unless, you know, something comes out specific about him, uh, he, he's probably got a little bit of plausible den- deniability uh, built in yeah. there. So and again, I'm not saying that he's the guy. It's just I'm, I'm trying to illustrate, you know, money difference and some of these other things. Uh, that have to have to go into this. Yeah. Um, one last question from me on the DC search, and, and if you want, you can address anything else after that. Uh, you mentioned you feel like this timeline is going to see some clarity, if not this week, but next week. And I can't help but think that's the week after the uh, conference championship games in the NFL. Do you feel like? If the Ducks still need a coordinator after that, they're waiting on somebody in the NFL? Um, you know, the only only names that I've really seen NFL-wise that have surfaced, uh, you know, are Clint Hurt and Chris Richard, which are both part of the Seattle Seahawks staff. And obviously they're not playing, uh, you know, any, any longer. Um, so, you know, to me, I don't know that there's anybody – in particular that, you know, they really need um, that they're waiting on. I, I think it's just a matter of finding that guy. I, I honestly think that Mario Cristobal maybe has it delayed in the fashion he has. And again, he hasn't delayed. It's been just barely over a week, um, you know, to see what happened at Tennessee with Pruitt and Ansley and those guys. And it doesn't mean he's going to hire either one of them, but why not give yourself a shot? Right. at those two guys. Right. And and the only way to do that is to wait. So I think that's a little bit more of what we've been waiting on than anything. Again, um, just from what I know, the criteria, what I know is really he's going to be looking at somebody that has defensive coordinator experience in the past, has, has called his own defense, you know, has done it. Um, and I think he does. I don't think Mario Cristobal does this every time, but I think this, this, this time on this defensive coordinator hire, he is a little bit more concerned with finding somebody that understands the West Coast, uh, recruiting in the West Coast, and in particular the Pac-12 offenses that they will be facing week in and week out. Because one week it can be air raid, one week it can be power football at Stanford. You know, it's just it's all over the map and in between. You know, you're going to go to Washington and see a little more pro-style offense. So I I, I think uh, you know I I think that those are probably. Uh, the three things that he's looking for in candidates uh, first and foremost. And then of course, after that, it's going to come down to money and who fits in with what they're doing and, 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 and meshes well with the existing coaches. Yeah. Uh, anything else on the DC search that you want to address? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, no, normally uh, you know, you, you and I record our podcast on a Tuesday and I, 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 you know, honestly, you and I have delayed recording podcasts because of, expected news or rumored to be expected news coming out and i feel pretty good you know recording this today because i just don't think i just don't think we're that close to a hire at least at least not yet next next week might be a little different 
No, I, I, I think that this search so far has really mirrored that offensive coordinator search. And, and like I said earlier, maybe the only difference is they don't feel rushed. They don't feel like they're competing with anybody else to find their guy. Uh, as for some of the other positions that are open, and I'm thinking about like what Thomas Aarons did behind the scenes, what are the Ducks looking for there? What do you think that process is like right now? Uh, looking for what? I'm sorry, you cut out. Uh, on me. Oh, sorry. Um, what What do you think the uh, the process is like for that uh, director of player personnel gig? Um, it, you know, I think that that's pretty. That one's a little more interesting to me. Um, it, it's not nearly as it's important and it's worth talking about, but it's not nearly as important as hire, having hiring a defensive coordinator. Right. And I think I think both. You know, you're able to to not be rushed in both of those because of the timing. And here we are mid-January, uh, you know, three, four, five years ago, this would be one of your recruiting go times. And this year it's not, you know, Oregon's only got four spots left. Uh, you know, it could be two or three guys that they sign, uh, you know, by February, they could hold some spots for the, for the transfer portal and go after some grad transfers. So I guess my point is this, there's not a ton to be done on the recruiting trail. And, you know, A, I don't think you need to have a DC in place for the guys that you're recruiting. I don't think that that's required. Um, might it be a bonus? Sure. But I don't think it's anything you have to rush on your timeline. Normally, coaches would be out on the road uh, recruiting. You know, they would have hit the hit the road running this week, uh, visiting high schools. And even if they weren't going to see guys in this 2021 class, you know, they would have been down there looking at 22s, 23s, you know, talking to coaches, uh, high school coaches, that is, talking them up and and letting them know they're interested. Uh, well, obviously, with COVID, we're not doing that this year. So uh, as that pertains to the de- director of player personnel, I would say normally uh, that would be a bit more of a priority because of all those things. But, you know, there's no no visits to be had. Kids aren't coming onto your campus. You're not sending coaches out on the road, which takes a ton of planning and coordination. Uh, and you have very little recruiting left to do. So, again, I think you can take your time with that hire. Nothing needs to be done there before signing day if you don't want it to be. Uh, and I also think that you have some options already uh, within. You know, Cooper Patenga has been there and worked with Thomas Arends and can take some of the, the workload. Don Johnson's in there in that department um, and, and has been there as well and can take on some of that load. So I think you're okay there. Um, given the demand and the fact that you have some good support that's been in place, you know, you're pretty safe, but, uh, obviously he is going to need to make a hire, uh, to replace Thomas Aaron's, uh, and, and some other guys, you know, Devell Winters and some other guys have gone over to Boise state with Andy Avalos and have, have elevated their careers as well, which is what you're trying to do in this business. So, you know, he's got a few, t- few hires to make, but, uh, and not to mention, he's still got some assistant coaches on staff that their contracts run out at the end of this month. So in the next two weeks, you've got to you've got to re-sign. I, 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 assuming you're going to keep them, you've got to re-sign. You know, Jim Mastro and Bobby Williams, uh, Ken Wilson, uh, Keith Hayward, uh, Joe Salavea. Uh, I don't remember if I said Bobby Williams or not, but uh, Alex Mirabal. Uh, like six-year coaches are mm-hmm. due for a new contract by the end of this month. And again, that's something that relates to the DC search. 
it's all money. It's all coming from one pool. Your coaching pool is one pool. So every dollar that you, you know, give that coach a raise or this coach a raise or whatever you do there is going to affect how much money you have for defensive coordinators. So uh, it's all tied together. And thankfully you and I don't have to have to make all these decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I'm not going to ask you to push anybody into a bus, but if they don't hire internally for that DC job, do you think that will create staff turnover elsewhere? Um, tough question. You know, I, I guess really the one, and I'll just I'll just go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. I, I I think it's Keith Hayward that a lot of people are curious about. You know, they're they're curious if Keith Hayward's going to come back. They're curious if 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 Keith Hayward's you know in the running for the defensive coordinator job. They're you know if he gets passed over for a second time, will he? you know, decide that he wants to stay or move on. I, 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 those are all valid questions. I don't think anybody's, you know, I, I get a lot of questions on scoop duck and honestly, a lot of times, all the time, it's always, always okay. Keith Hayward. Like you said, always it, it is. And, and, and there are times I get some of these questions and I'd like to post the gif of the jump to conclusions map because every <laughs> little thing that's said or, or, or read or, or reported is, you know, you, you jump three or four steps ahead. But I, I, I think there are some, you know, validity here to, you know, Hey, if, if Keith Hayward's passed over for a second time, what does that mean? You know, and, and let's be real safety recruiting hasn't been stellar the past two years. I, I don't know that it's, you know, been uh, awful, uh, but it hasn't been great. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't think he's, you know, done a, a bad enough job to warrant terminating him. Um, and I don't believe that Mario Cristobal, will do that, but obviously the ball is going to have to be in, in, in Hayward's court uh, over the next two weeks to kind of really know that, you know, if you're passed over for the defensive coordinator job a second time, you know, do you want to stay or go? And the other part about that is let's, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Keith Hayward's making over 600 grand a year to coach safeties. That's a pretty good payday. And as I recall, I think it's like the second highest paid in the country per his position. So, you know, uh, if, if you decide to leave, where else are you going to go and what kind of money are you going to make? Because it's certainly not going to be six hundred thousand uh, dollars wherever you go to coach to coach safeties or even defensive backs. So, you know, th- those are the decisions. I, I know that Keith Hayward, uh, his wife, his two daughters, they really like Eugene. They like being here. Uh, you know, they, they feel safe. The, the girls are growing up and thriving and doing well in school and and everybody's pretty happy on that front so it's just going to be some of these other things that come into play and i don't have the answer i'm not keith hayward i don't know what he's thinking uh and i imagine he has an idea but probably won't jump across that bridge until it shows up yeah i I, one thing i love about talking to you justin you do this with recruits too you'll talk about family and and how that weighs into their decision whenever we talk about staffers you don't just talk about the money they make or about the relationship they might have with the coach or, you know, have they delivered on the field? You talk about their families. I feel like that doesn't get mentioned enough in this process. If somebody's going to stay a coach at Oregon, it's going to be because their family likes being at Oregon. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you're you're absolutely not. I mean, at the end of the day, is it Keith Hayward's choice? Probably, but Obviously, his the, the the person that has the second biggest impact on that decision is Camila, his wife, and she's going to say, "Hey, look, I really like it here. Let's keep the girls here." Or, "Hey, 
you know, if you're thinking we got to make a move, we got to make a move. I imagine she's highly supportive, but she's going to voice her opinion. And and again, I don't want to speak on her behalf, but I do know that that particular family, uh, like Eugene, has no problem being here. Uh, and again, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one last thing on duck football. Long term. We're three years into the Mario Cristobal era. Obviously, it's it's a different road than the road we were on in the first year of the Mario Cristobal era, uh, losing a lot of recruits and, and having a lot of question marks about what the staff would look like. Do you feel like they can accomplish the the goals that they have for this program? Do you feel like this team is closer to getting to that college football playoff and being that Bama or Clemson of the West year in, year out? Well, you know, I, I, I know that we'll probably never get Mario Cristobal to say this the way I'm about to say it. But, you know, I think when you hold that first team meeting in the spring and you go up on the board and, and of course, it's a virtual board, whatever, just stick with me here. You go up on the board and you write down your, your goals for the season you know, you're, you're going to start, you're going to start small and go long okay? your, your, your goal, you know, goal number one, win the first game of the season. Okay. No matter who you play, no matter who it is, goal number one, win the first game of the season, you know, goal number two after that. Uh, and I know I could get into coaching speak and write, you know, game number two, game number three, but I'm not going to do that here. Uh-huh. You know, goal number two, uh, if we're short condensing it, it's probably beat USC and UW if you play them. That's probably your second, you know, realistic goal. Did you beat USC? Did you beat Washington? Depending on if you played them both, you know, that that's probably goal number two, realistically. Goal number three after that, conference championship. You know, did you win a conference championship? I imagine that's, you know, that goal is always up there. You know, for, you, you've got to have that one. I understand the, the long term, the big goal, the goal that everybody's after is a national championship. I understand that. You got to win your conference championship first and you've got to list that goal. I think it's incredibly important. And then last, of course, is, 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 is competing or winning a national championship. Uh, you know, that's the ultimate goal. And I think you list them that way. They're, they're, there's a way for much smarter people than I to verbalize this and illustrate how important it is to do one through three before you jump to four. Um, but I think this team right now, I feel confident. And again, we don't know some decisions. We don't know about Anthony Brown coming back. We don't have a defensive coordinator in place, but assuming all these things, you know, jive and go well, I think that this team is more than capable of doing one through three, one through three, winning game one, you know, winning games uh, against USC and Washington and winning a conference championship. I think this team has all the components in place. I think there was a ton of injuries. There's a ton of youth. It's all more experienced, whether they played or not, you know, they practiced, they, they worked out, they were together. You know, even in a COVID year, there's tons of experience there that's very valuable. I, I think this team is 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 good enough to win a conference championship. I I don't know that they're national championship caliber yet. I think there's still a little bit too much too much youth. And I am valuing how much experience they gained in this last year, but I'm not quite sure it was enough. You know, so I, I think if I'm projecting, if I'm kind of looking uh, at that big picture, that big goal, I, I think I still think that's a couple years out. And I think they're trending the right direction. But I think if we enter next season with the expectation that Oregon should compete for a national championship, I don't think that that's realistic. I think it's the 
absolute tippy top of the goal. And I, I, I'd say that it's, I'd say that it's plausible. I just don't think it's all that realistic. So I guess to answer your question, I think this is a conference conference championship winning team. I think they can get there. I think it'll be close. I don't think they're going to dominate. Uh, you know, I think Washington's going to be a good football team. Utah's hit the transfer portal and done some really good things there this year as well. And, and was a good team last year. You know, ASU is a good team. Cal lost quite a few guys, but they're always tough every year. Uh, Stanford, I, I think Stanford showed glimpses of being a better team this year, even in a weird year and the weird practice schedules that they had. I thought that they showed improvements. So it's not going to be, you know, Oregon State, I, I've got to mention your Beavers as well, Matt. I mean, they, you know, they, <laughs> uh, but seriously, no, Jonathan Smith has done a terrific job there in the yeah. short time he's been there. Uh, honestly, and I, and I say this in all seriousness, probably if not the top at least the second best coach in the conference i think right now with what he's done with with you know basically what he took over and what he's turned that into are they a juggernaut no of course not there it was that was way too much of a gap but I, i think just from x's and o's and running a good scheme and running a good offense and and developing talent and i think he was really smart to you know, only only recruit guys that he thought could help them and hit the transfer portal hard this year, which he's going to do. I thought those were all really smart CEO, GM type of moves. And so, uh, you know, again, I think the Beavers are getting better. Um, was really impressed with Rolovich in his first year at Washington State. Uh, will be better next year as well. So, again, that was a really long answer to your question, but I, I felt like I went a lot of ways. I, I do think Oregon's a good team. I think they should be able to win the conference championship um a new york six bowl game like a fiesta bowl or something like that for next year is realistic but i mean if we're being fair and i'm not a coach so i don't have to you know i don't have to do coach speak but if we're being fair that should be kind of the goal in my opinion for next year yeah yeah hey you mentioned quote-unquote my quote-unquote oregon state beavers and uh, Jonathan Smith, Let, let's use him as an example to take this full circle back on Mario and the D.C. search and some of the openings at Oregon. Jonathan Smith was a coordinator for two years. Before that, he was a position coach uh, at, at Boise State and at Montana and and small small schools, uh, what we would consider 1AA or FCS schools, he did not have a head coaching resume, did not have a, a, a strong bank of experience as a head coach in major college football, and yet one thing that became pretty clear, uh, if not in the first recruiting cycle, I think definitely in the last recruiting cycle and in the, the off-season preparations for Oregon State and in the way they carry themselves in their weekly game plan, that I've become accustomed to covering them week in, week out, it became clear that Jonathan Smith was one of those coaches who for a decade was waiting in the wings, dreaming and scheming and thinking about what he would do if he had that opportunity. And you see some coaches that are like that. They might be a defensive backs coach, and they're thinking, I can't wait to be a coordinator someday. And they're dreaming up all these plays in their head. Or they're a coordinator thinking about, I can't wait to be a head coach someday. I I think Mario Cristobal has to look for that. And and I know he values it because Joe Moorhead had head coaching experience. Now he's the OC. 
I think Mario Cristobal has to value that with some of these interviews, and maybe the reason he's taking his time to find the right guy is he's trying to find that. Are you more than a position coach, or are you more than a DC, more than an assistant? Do you have that ability, big picture, to enact some of the things you've dreamed about for your life? Um Clearly, Jonathan Smith is doing that in Corvallis. He had a mission, and he's executing that mission to a T. And I, I think if Oregon can find someone like that, they'll be right back on solid footing in terms of that D.C. room. Yeah, I I mean, if, if it's one thing, um, if it's one thing for Mario Cristobal, I, I think he's always um, been at the forefront of, you know, let me find a guy that's, you know, kind of at the top of, of his at the top of his current position and close to bumping his head to that next position. You know, let me go find a really good linebacker coach that is really close to becoming a defensive coordinator. Let me go find, you know, Joe Moorhead. Let me have him for a year or two as OC. I know he's going to be a head coach, you know, sooner than later, but let me go, let me go find that guy. All things considered, let's just say that there's no wrongdoing at Tennessee. Going and getting Jeremy Pruitt right now is a freaking perfect move. You're going to go get a guy that, that that had a really rough start as his head coaching tenure at Tennessee. He's got to resurrect his career. How does he do that? You go to Oregon and you coach the defense for a couple of years and make them better and stack that on your resume and you're off to the next stop. I mean, that's all things considered, if you could afford it and if there was no recruiting violations, this is the ultimate time to hire Jeremy Pruitt because you get him for a couple of years. Uh, and basically you're going to get a guy that's going to have to work his ass off to, you know, basically resurrect his career. Um, I don't know that that's going to be feasible given what we know about Tennessee right now. Um, but that's kind of the thing. Now that said, from what I gather, and I know I've written as much, I do believe that in this particular hire, I do believe right now, Mario Cristobal has identified some candidates that he feels could come in and do an excellent job and wouldn't be so eager to take that next step. And I think there's some value there. I mean, it's a lot of work to have this much turnover and keep hiring guys and and making moves. And it's exhausting. And every time they come in, they're changing terminology. They're, they're, they're changing formations. They're doing things differently than the last guy. And you're constantly reteaching your players, which isn't a bad thing because they're going to go to the NFL and they're going to have to learn, you know, three or four or five different formations and languages because they're going to get moved around more, more, more than likely. So uh, it's not a bad thing, but I do think there's a little bit of value for Mario Cristobal this time. And, and that's why I think a guy like Tim DeRuiter at this point in his career, I think it's pretty well proven. He's pretty happy to be a DC run his defense. He, he runs it the way he runs it and does a good job. It's pretty efficient. Uh, you know, kind of remember the Titans-ish on the defensive side of the ball. Hey, we're going to do three or four things, and we're going to do them really well. You know, simple, right. simple, right. And, and just do it really well. And, uh, you know, I think that is a guy that fits. I know people aren't like, oh, Tim DeRuiter, that's the guy to hire. Nobody's gung-ho about Tim DeRuiter. But I think there's something to be said about a guy that could stick around for a few years. I think there's something to be said for a guy that's coached a lot of football out west and in the Pac-12 and knows what he'll be up against week in and week out. Am I saying that he's your next hire and has to be your next hire? No. But just because he's not the sexy name of, of Jeremy Pruitt or Derek Ansley or some of these other big names floating out there, 
doesn't mean he's any less of a hire. He just brings different things to the table. And it's, you know, frankly, all about what Mario Cristobal is looking for at this point. Yeah. Yeah. All eyes on Mario. Uh, We got a crossroads moment here on the pod. We're efforting a guest, but if we don't have him today, we can go straight into basketball. What do you want to do? Well, let me reach out to the guest real quick and see if that's a go. And if not, uh, we'll put a bow on it and we'll have him on next week. Sounds good. Okay, so good news, we have a guest locked in. Bad news, that guest is locked in now for next week. So we'll just push things back a week. We'll tell you next week, and you're going to really enjoy it next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Let's wrap up the show with a look at the hardwood. Basketball. A bit of a weird week. The ladies... Having a, a game that didn't go their way. The men not even getting a game last week because of COVID. Uh, but this week, hopefully, we'll see that change. How do you feel about it all, my friend? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the one the one thing that we were kind of looking forward to with, uh, you know, football getting over was, uh, you know, being able to focus a little more on men's and women's basketball. Uh, and while they have been playing, you know, obviously football concludes and then, uh, the men's basketball team is, is forced to, uh, you know, take a, take a break due to COVID testing and then some positives. And, uh, for the most part, the women's team kind of hits a little bit of a skid. And so, uh, you know, hasn't been the, the, the best transition, I guess, if you will. And, and it, it's slow news wise. I mean, that's, I think that's the hardest part for me is, you know, you know, trying to come up with things, you know, two to three to four things a day, uh, you know, for the site that are that are relevant. And, you know, I can only write about the three or four recruits uh, that are left on the board so many times. And, you know, we're kind of moving on for football. And then, well, there's no basketball to cover. It uh, <laughs> makes it pretty difficult. But, yeah, yeah, well, I think, as I recall, I think the women play Thursday and Sunday and the men play on Saturday this week against the Beavers. So um, pretty excited for, for, for uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to see them all back in action. Yeah. Uh, I think they're all home games too. If I I remember right. I think they are as well. Uh, I know the men's game is a home game for sure. What, What stands out to me, and I said this on my show yesterday, Wayne Tinkle is, is not a great recruiter for Oregon state. If I were, in charge of the hiring there, I would move on from him and I'd look for somebody else. But I I have to admit, the expectations for Oregon State are so low, you, you don't expect the, the five stars and the phenoms to say, I want to spend four years of my life in Corvallis, Oregon, right? Um, the expectations are so low, it, it might be enough to just say, okay, can you get your team to play hard? And so what's fascinating to me Saturday is you look at this opponent, Oregon State's record, you look at the the, the games that they've just gotten killed, you look at the terrible headlines they've drawn this year, but the reality is they'll have a game like they did against Arizona where it's a bloodbath, and then they'll have a game like they did Sunday against Arizona State where they play crazy hard. And I fear... The, that's the team the Ducks will face on Saturday. It's going to be a hard one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, uh, 
you know, the analogy that I guess that, that, that we can all relate to a little more is, you know, having Chip Kelly at UCLA. You know, how much pressure does Chip Kelly really have to win at UCLA? You know, they're, they've traditionally been a basketball school, you know, whereas Oregon State hasn't really been known for men's basketball. Yeah. And I, I, I think, I've always called them a baseball school, jokingly. It's a baseball yeah, school. Which, I mean, which they are. I mean, yeah. I mean, you would know. It's your program, so you you would know uh, the most about them. But no, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think, I, I mean, I think whoever or Oregon State hires for baseball, you know, that that coach is going to have more pressure on him than the men's basketball coach. And and uh, you know, whether I'm right or wrong or that's fair or not, I think that you know, you and I, it sounds like we're in agreement on that regard. Just that. Uh, you know, men basketball. So how good is Tinkle? It, it, has he reached his ceiling? Has he, you know, has he plateaued? Is he on his way down? I, I don't really know. And and they certainly aren't going to recruit at the level that, that Oregon is, uh, neither in football nor basketball. So um, I, I think that's one of those schools that really, you know, it's, it reminds, honestly, it reminds me a lot of, of like, uh, you know, Tennessee right now with their football searches you're a school right now that kind of has to be really careful with how quickly you hire and fire somebody, you know, is, is, is the next guy going to be better? Or are you just setting yourself back another three or four years while, you know, he gets his team ready. And I, and I think for Oregon state and Tinkle, that's what you have to decide. Like, you know, Hey, if we move on from him, who are we going to get? It, who's realistic? You know, will this guy be any better? And of course you're always excited about the next person you hire. Uh, but, but you have to look at it, you know, from a pretty logical standpoint. So, uh, like you said, though, uh, this is a rivalry game, so it's not that hard to coach up your team for a rivalry game, yeah. rivalry game, which is 100%, you know, going back to a football tangent, which is 100% why I thought Oregon would beat USC and felt they'd have trouble with Iowa State. You tell your football team you're playing USC, they're getting up for that game, right. you know, they're they're ready. Right. And and I think if you're Tinkle and you say, hey, guess what, Oregon's got a, a roster full of, of four and five stars down there that Dana Altman has recruited they're expected to to mop the floor with you guys. How do you want to respond? Yeah, they're going to go out there and play their asses off. So um, I think that's one of the best parts about a rivalry is, you know, even if one team is is much more talented the, than the other, you just never really know because that that uh, you know that that fire and and uh, you know that energy from it being a rivalry is kind of the equalizer. You, you call the Beavers my program, which has always been the running joke we have. It, it makes me wish that that. What's really my program, Oregon Tech, or uh, or or their opponents that I've I've become fond of and cover a lot in the Rogue Valley, Southern Oregon, makes me wish that those schools played the Ducks and the Beavs more often. But uh, talking about Tinkle, I I think we're in agreement. As bad as that team is year in year out, it tends to be a tough win for the Ducks. It, it can be a yeah. trap because, like like you said. Oregon State, for whatever reason, just gets up for that game. Yeah. Well, and, Ed, and to that fact, you know, Oregon's always had trouble in Utah. You know, they go over to, to Utah, and, and that's a good basketball team, but it's not a great basketball team. It just struggles. And, yeah. you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's the, the philosophy or, or the, you know, or just the, 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 the scheme or whatever the case might be, injuries, just tough, tough, you know, shoot, look at Oregon football. They struggle going and playing in the Palouse. You know, most people do, but. I don't know. Just it's just some things are weird like that, and I guess that's what makes uh, sports fun. Yeah, yeah. Talk about weird. Uh, one game, the Oregon ladies drop a hundred. The next game, they get held under fifty. How do you feel about the state of Oregon women's hoops right now? 
Uh, you know, I, I think that, and again, drawing a comparison to, to football, because that's what I do, uh, they're young. They're, they're young. They're inexperienced. Uh, you know, Kelly Graves is breaking in, uh, for the most part, a, a pretty new roster and a lot of new pieces. And uh, I just don't think they've gelled yet. I just think that the, they are going through what you naturally go through in the progression of sports, of, of college athletics. You, uh, you know, you have to, you got to take your lumps in the first year or two, oftentimes. And uh, I, I think they're doing that. I, you know, it's, it's really, women's basketball is so much different it, in the regard that you can have players for four and five years and it's right. not uncommon. And so then you might have, for instance, like Oregon, this mass exodus of players, which uh, Kelly Graves had some, obviously some of the most talented players to ever come through the program. And you bring in a lot of new pieces. Well, those new pieces are, are uber talented and, and really good, but they just, they haven't played. And so uh, I don't know. I, I think when you, what illustrates what you said is you see the potential for this team. They go out and score hundred points and fill up the bucket and play good defense and play well together. And I think you see, Hey, the potential is there. It's just a matter of consistency at that point, being able to do that week in and week out against different opponents on the road versus at home. You know, you go and you play a really difficult Stanford team and I think you look pretty good doing it, but it's pretty clear at that point, you know, Stanford's a little more experienced, obviously just, you know, a, they're a step above you at this particular moment, but I, you know, you see that the gap is so close. It's not like Oregon goes out and scores 40 and they score 90. And you're like, Oh, Kelly Graves will never get him there. It's like, Hey, I think he's really close. He just needs a little bit more time. Now, is that more time this year or is that more time heading into next year? We don't know, but they're competitive. And I think that's all you can ask for. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really takes me back to what I said at the start of the year. They have talent. They don't have experience. And it's going to be a bumpy ride sometimes until they get that experience. Uh, this week is going to be really fun in that regard. You have a Husky team that they blew out in December, but you have a Cougar team that I think really challenged them. It was the first time all year that the Ducks didn't just run away with the final score, uh, 69-65, back uh, the week of Christmas in Pullman. Now that squad visits Eugene and, and faces Oregon, I expect them to really come out motivated. Um, the, the story that I read this week was that Kelly Graves tightened up his rotations, so he's going to be giving out a, a few less minutes to some players and maybe a few more minutes to some others that might be more deserving and really try to rein in these young ladies and use this as a teachable moment for them. I think they make the most of it. Well, I, you know, I'll... I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I read about what you're saying, and I think that, that that makes a lot of sense because you start to enter that point of the season where you're really starting to tighten things down. You've, you know, you've had it, uh, again, it's a COVID year, so everything's a little different, but you know, you've given a lot of your young players an opportunity to go out there and play and put out some meaningful minutes, and you go back and you watch film and you kind of see who's doing what well and who's underperforming or, or maybe not quite there yet. And I think this is about the time of that year where, you know, you're, you're kind of done. And I don't want to use the quotations experimenting because it's not fair, but it's at least, uh, you know, paints a picture of what you're experimenting with rotations. You're experimenting with 
you know, putting these two players on the, on the floor together and what does that get you? And, uh, you know, I, I, I think for Kelly Graves with this young team and a, and a, a mostly new roster, you've had an opportunity to do that. And it's not just a game or two, it's, you know, it's a dozen games or so. And yeah, tighten it up and Hey, let's it's, here we go. We're about to hit February. Let's get that group, that nucleus tightened up. Let's get them out there. Let's get them gelling. Let's try to take this thing to the next level. Because again, like I said, just a few minutes ago, you're not that far from Stanford and they're their number one, number one team in the country. So I, uh, you know, I, I think that's the right move. I think it's a veteran move. Uh, I, I just don't think that it really uh, helps him by continuing to tinker with things all that much. So yeah, get your best five out there, you know, get your next best two or three uh, out there right behind them. And, uh, and I guess just let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's put a bow on this, wrap it up. Uh, did you want to talk about the, uh, the NFL playoffs for a minute? Oh, playoffs. Playoffs. Yeah. No, I actually, I actually got to watch a decent amount of NFL football this weekend, which I haven't watched a lot of. Yeah. You ever think crystal ball was going to be haunted by a phrase like that? Like, like, like imagine Jim Mora, a good coach, works his butt off, spends his entire life climbing the ladder, right? And that's all we know him for. One line in a press conference. Right. No, you know, I mean, I suppose if you coach long enough, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be due to get, uh, you know, to get something said because you can't be composed at all times. But I, you know, and I, I, I don't say this as a dig, but from watching all the Zoom interviews that Mario Cristobal does, I, I got to think J- James Krupia is going to get one out of him at some point. Because <laughs> those, two, those two just seem to, yeah. you know, send it back and forth a little bit. So, again, no, no knock on, on Krupia. It's just obviously yeah. watching their interaction in the Zoom interviews. You, 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 you th- it certainly seems like he's going to get one out of him at some point. James might get mad if we say this, but I totally agree with you. Because I've said before, I've told people, I, I think he's really good as, as a reporter. He's really good at asking questions that can get your guest uncomfortable. And, and you see it with Mario when he's asking him last year about, like, the third-string kicker on the depth chart and, you know, why do you list this kicker over that kicker, stuff like that. And you would see right. Mario just, it's human nature, get a little uncomfortable at that. And you ask that question so that then, you know, an hour later or a day later or a week later or a year later, you follow up with something else and eventually get him to just boom unfilter uncork one uh i'm with you someday that might happen if if he's in the oregon beat long enough i think that will happen sure yeah you catch you catch anyone on a bad day and they're they're liable to (laughs) i mean i've had a few of my own rants so i don't have any room to talk but yeah Yeah. i mean we, we we've all been there um conference championship games packers and bucks who do you like wow i mean uh what a fun one, right? I mean, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And again, I know I tweeted this out. I don't understand the hate for Tom Brady. I mean, I guess people don't like him because he's good looking and is rich and his wife's smoking hot and he wins all these championships. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I like Tom Brady. Uh, but that said, uh, I, I think I think Aaron Rodgers playing quite possibly the best football of his career right now. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're able to do just enough defensively uh, you know, to keep them in the game. And, 
Now, I, you know, I was a little disappointed with the fight New Orleans put up. I didn't think they played all that well. You know, Drew Brees didn't play all that well. I think all the talk about him retiring just prior to the game probably didn't help matters there. Um, but again, I mean, the Buccaneers, you're talking about the most loaded wide receiver core uh, in football. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Packers have the best receiver in the NFL in Devontae Adams. So um, I'm going pack. I don't know about you, but I'm going with the pack. Not because I not because I care about either one of those teams. I'm just I'm going with the pack. Okay, so if you Google twelve sixty five Lombardi Avenue, Green Bay, Wisconsin, that's the address for Lambeau Field. Sunday at noon, the weather forecast is twenty eight degrees with snow. Ooh. So, Ooh. if it's gonna snow, and we're gonna have a frozen field at the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, right? The the lore of the game. And we're going to have Aaron Rodgers playing in those elements. I'm rooting for the Packers in that game. I, I think it just fits from a from a football fundamental standpoint. And uh, and I agree with you. I think he's playing out of his mind. So I have the pack in that one, and I'm hoping that they dethrone Brady. And then, but keep uh, in mind, you know, Brady played all those years in New England. I mean, it snows up there too. So he, I mean, the snow. Snow won't rattle him. Normally, you think of Tampa Bay and think of snow, and you're like, no way, they're screwed. But obviously, with Brady, he's played in it as much as Aaron Rodgers has. So, I mean, really, I guess it'll come down to who can control the line of scrimmage and maybe run the ball a little more effectively. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so I like Green Bay. You like Green Bay. Uh, Kansas City, Buffalo. How do you see that one? Okay. Who? I mean, who in their right mind would have would have predicted this game to start the season? Seriously, and. Even to take it a step farther, who would have predicted that they have five losses between the two of them? These are two damn good football teams, and uh, man, I don't. That's this one's tough. I think, I think, yeah, I don't. I have a, I have a tough time betting against. And again, we don't know with Patrick Mahomes what he's going to do. I know he's in the concussion protocol, but didn't hit his head or whatever they're claiming. So I, there's hope he plays. If Mahomes is out, the Bills win easily, in my opinion. I, 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 th- I thought. I thought Henny did a good job finishing out that game. Uh, I was impressed with that, but let's face it, that's not the same football team without Mahomes out there. Yeah. Uh, I, even if Mahomes plays, I still think the Bills win, and that's if he plays. If he, if he doesn't play, it's it's easily easily the Bills, and they're somehow in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl this year. And with a young team and a young quarterback and a, a really strong nucleus, I'm. I'm I'm impressed. I'm wowed. I'm surprised, and I'm here for it. This is this is one of those games that you live for, right here. Yeah, I I, I said this on my show yesterday. If Mahomes plays, I think the first team to fifty wins. I, I think yeah. it's going to be a shootout for the ages. If Mahomes plays, if he doesn't, the Chiefs are screwed. The Chiefs are done. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I, I you know what, man, so much, they're going to figure out a way to get him to play. I mean, they just are. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but you don't have to be to see the writing on the wall. He's he's going to play. So that's just my opinion. Okay. Well, I can't wait to pop open a couple of cold ones and watch that this weekend. And yes. At some point this year, maybe this month, hopefully, uh, we'll have closure on that Oregon D.C. search, right? Oh yeah, maybe maybe uh, yeah maybe some someday Mario will make the hire. I know everybody's <laughs> impatiently waiting. No, I mean you know, I, I think uh, you know I, I I guess the good news there, and, and I don't know whoever is listening still at this point, but I mean you know we we've at least been educated enough to know, you know don't expect a quick hire. And I I think when you set those expectations, you know people are a little bit more patient with it. Like hey look, I mean 
he's given no indication he's going to make this hire within a week. Right. You know, he's going to vet people out. So, um, yeah, I, I, but I, I do, I do feel like the, the process and, and again, I feel like this process is a lot closer to happening than it would be. Okay. If it wasn't a pandemic year, meaning, you know, Mario isn't spending his time going out on the road, going from city to city, seeing seven to eight high schools in a day. Cause that's what he would normally be doing right now, taking advantage of this time. Since we're not able to do that, he's able to, you know, put, put a lot more energy into this. And so I, I think we're a lot closer to a higher than we might have been in most of the years. Yeah. Okay, so stay tuned for that. We'll have more updates on that in next week's pod. Also dive in on basketball, the Oregon men facing Oregon State this week. The Oregon ladies play in the Washington schools and a whole lot more. Plus uh, that mystery guest we alluded to earlier. You're going to really enjoy that. Not every day we get someone of their caliber on the pod. Uh, Stay tuned for us next week. Look for us in your favorite podcast app, Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi. And leave us a review if you can. Tell people what you think about this. I'm always proud of our work. I know Justin and as well. Uh, He is as well. And we're really thankful for you, the listener. So... I'll say this, and we'll move on for the week. Folks, have a great day. Thanks for listening, and go Ducks. I can do this night like all day long.